Okay, to everyone. Hope everyone's enjoying uh, Yeshiva week. I'm surprised anyone's here. I thought you'd be with your grandchildren running around. Thought I'd be here by myself. We uh, dedicate our learning this morning, as we do every week, a refuah shlema, a speedy and painless recovery for all those who are ill. And we have in mind, in particular, our beloved Rabbi Maskewitz, Rav Gavriel Pinchas, Ben Devorah Zlata. Okay, as always, we begin with an overview of the parsha, and then we will study a number of the psukim in depth together. Our parsha begins, of course, where last week, last week left off. Last week we had the uh, first of the plagues, the first seven of the plagues. This week we have the last three, and the culmination of the climax of this story that's been unfolding, which Paro and the Egyptians have been warned. Nevertheless, Hashem hardened Paro's heart. We spoke about last week. What does that mean to harden someone's heart? Are there people who are so evil, so nefarious, that it's not that God hardened their heart, but it's that He removed the ability to do tshuva. He didn't remove their free will so much as have solidified and cemented the choices they had made. And Paro and the Egyptian people now are going to feel the consequences on the results of the decisions they had made. So our parasha begins, Vayom HaShem Moshe Boel Paro. Nu, let's go. Time to go back. We're heading back to Paro. Why does it say Bo? The classic question, what should it say? Lech. Go to Paro. We mentioned this two weeks ago in Parsha Shmos when God recruits Moshe to begin with and Moshe hesitates. He says, who am I to go up Paro? And who says the people are worthy of being redeemed? And God says, who are you? Don't worry, I'm going with you. You're not going on your own. You're simply my mouthpiece. You're going to articulate the message, but I will be there. In fact, the Zohar goes so far, the Zohar in our parsha to say that Moshe was afraid what precipitated this command of God, Bo El Paro, come? Because Moshe demurred, Moshe hesitated. He was afraid. Paro is the king of kings, the emperor of the world. Paro is the most mighty man alive, the most powerful man on earth. Yes, Moshe has had the courage to confront him. But at some point that courage begins to wane. And he was afraid to expose himself, in the Zohar's words, to the low levels of Tumah, to the low levels of impurity. He didn't want to become contaminated. To which the Ribbonu Shalom responded, Nu, Boel Paro, come. You have nothing to worry about. You could take me with you. You can find holiness and sanctity even within the promiscuity and the decadence and the immorality of Egypt. Boel Paro, I'm with you. And as long as I'm with you, you can survive and even thrive no matter the circumstance, you have nothing to be afraid. And the Zohar references the Pasuk later in Tehillim, composed by David HaMelech, Gam ki elech lo irara, when? Ki imadi. You are with me. I can go and face a paro. I can go and confront my tormentor, my oppressor. I can go and be exposed to influences that are foreign and that are dangerous. When? Bo el paro. Ki imadi. When you are with me, when I take you with me, when I have that level of amuna, then I can survive even, even there. So with that, Moshe sets out, Moshe and Aaron. Again, we saw last week that it's always the two of them together in unison. They set out back to Paro to confront him once again, and they bring on the eighth plague, the plague of the locusts. Of course, we have this cycle which repeats itself. The plague is so oppressive that people complain. Paro is willing to negotiate and the plague is removed. The ninth plague, top of page 344. What is the ninth plague? Choshech, darkness. 
Before Shemar bothered, we studied this in depth in the past. We're not going to go through it again right now, but the plagues are supposed to progress in intensity. They're supposed to progress in how punitive they are. Does darkness seem so terrible? I don't know. Compare darkness to losing the water system, losing access to, to irrigation, to water. Compare plagues to being a swarm of locusts and to your animals dying and to all the plagues we've seen until now. Darkness? If you ever had a blackout, it's inconvenient. Would you call it a plague? It's more an inconvenience. What's so terrible about this plague of Choshech? So the Mepharshim deal we've discussed it in the past, you could listen online a few years ago. What really is the Choshech? Some say it was a thickness. It wasn't just darkness as in the absence of light, but it was a darkness that was a fog. They were consumed by a fog. They couldn't see, they couldn't see their nose. They couldn't see an inch in front of them. Torah Tamima says that it wasn't a darkness in the environment. It was a darkness that they all, all of a sudden got cataracts. They all got macular degeneration. They all had some eye disease and they were left blind. Blindness is paralyzing. The Gemara records that there are four people who are considered dead even when they are alive. And one of them is the blind person. Today, thank God, we have developed all kinds of technologies and systems and support. Even the blind person can operate in the world today, although it's a great difficulty. But in in antiquity in particular, a blind person was isolated. They were shut off from the world. They were alone. That's what Chaim Shemalevitz and Asichus Musr says what the four have in common. The four who the Torah calls dead even when they're alive are people who are isolated, people who feel alone. They have no companionship. They have no camaraderie. They have no interaction. So the people in Mitzrayim, the reason this is such a plague is because they panicked. You have a panic attack of claustrophobia, of darkness, and to feel utterly and entirely alone. The Chedush Arim homiletically has another interpretation. A beautiful one. He says, the Choshech, the darkness they felt, was neither in the environment, nor was it a disease of the eye. What was the darkness? Chazal tell us darkness is when a person is self-centered. If you don't see people around you and all you care about is yourself, you're living under a cloud, a cloak of darkness. What does the Pasuk say? Perak Yud Pasuk Chaf Gimel Moshe strikes them with darkness and what's the result? Lo ra'u ish es achiv A person did not see their brother. You didn't care about anyone else. You didn't have relationships with anyone else. You weren't loyal to anyone else and no one was loyal to you. Darkness is being so self-centered and narcissistic and ego-driven that there's no one real in your life. You're all alone because you're incapable of caring about others. Says the Chidush Arim, it was a self-imposed darkness. The Egyptian behavior had led to this, uh, to this sense of darkness and that makes sense that the Jews who were living simultaneously didn't experience the darkness because it wasn't in the atmosphere or environment nor necessarily in their eyes at least, at least homiletically for the Chudush Arim it was in their it was something in their attitude okay Paro offers to uh, he can't take it anymore after the ninth plague and Paro offers. Gam, Moshe, however, responds, No, Gam Yelechimanu. We're going to take everything with us. And again, when Paro begins to soften and seems he might let them out, just at that moment, And Paro says, No. And Paro says, No. 
Moshe then warns, or Hashem tells Moshe to warn Paro, Nega echad avi al Paro. One more. Od nega echad. I'm bringing one more. Remember we saw last week that according to some, the Rashbam, the first nine plagues were not meant to be punitive. They were meant to be educational. You Paro say, Lo yodas Hashem, you don't know God? God used the plagues to educate the Egyptians. And we see that expression used over and over again of Das, of Yada, Teda, that the whole purpose of the plagues, it's a, a exercise in Chinuch. You don't know God? God says, okay, you'll get to know me. I'm master over nature. I'm master over the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom. I can manipulate and control the world. I have dominion and divine providence. You claim not to know me? Watch me pull the puppet strings and you'll get to know me. You'll understand who I am and you'll understand that I am categorically different than you. Said the Rashbam, the first nine plagues were educational, the tenth was punitive. Paro's intransience, Paro's stubbornness, Hashem had to punish him, and so he brings the tenth plague. Tenth plague is a very harsh plague, because in fact, not only did he punish Paro, did he punish the parents, whom did he punish? The firstborn. Perhaps young, innocent, pure, how could they have suffered for their parents? This is a, uh, a question not for now. Torah then continues and interrupts the story. Right before the tenth plague is carried out, Hashem tells Moshe to warn Paro about it and its harshness, its severity. And yet before it's carried out, our narrative, our storyline is interrupted, in brackets so to say, for the first two mitzvahs of the Torah. The first of HaChodesh HaZelachem, time, which is what we're going to study momentarily together. And the second is to bring the first carbon Pesach. That even while yet in Egypt, on the first day of Nisan, Moshe tells the people, why am I screaming? I have a microphone. You gotta remember to stop screaming. Moshe tells the people, even on the first day, you can hear me in the back, right? Even on the first day of Nisan, he says, anticipate that on the 10th day, you're going to set aside an animal that will be brought as a sacrifice on the which day? The 14th day. He's telling them on the first day, about the 10th day, about a sacrifice to be offered on the 14th day. Why is that? We're going to study this section in depth in a moment. And Moshe in this, in this section is telling them everything that's going to happen. Why are you bringing the sacrifice, the Pesach sacrifice, the carbon Pesach, and you're going to do so with Matzah and Maror? Which is bizarre. Why do we think we eat Matzah? What's the classic reason? Fast forward to the Seder. I don't want to give anyone heart palpitations. We're only a few weeks away from the Seder. Start cleaning. No more chametz. Right. Exactly. So what do we say at the Seder? Why do we eat the matzah? What do we tell our children? What do our children learn when they're young? Wake someone up in the middle of the night and say, Why did Jews eat matzah on Pesach? Because we were in a... We were in a rush. We were in a hurry when we left Egypt. We left with such alacrity. We didn't have time for the dough to rise. Here's the only problem with that. Our Parsha. Before we didn't have time for the dough to rise, Moshe already tells them the way you commemorate the miracle that's about to occur and that we will commemorate for generations to come will be Teed Matzah. So Moshe already tells them Matzah is the symbol that you'll employ to celebrate the event about to unfold before it unfolded in a way that they didn't have time for the dough to rise. So that clearly can't be the reason. We have been... We have been giving the wrong reason to our children for all these years. It obviously has nothing to do with the dough rising. 
because we were given the mitzvah of matzah and maror even before we left with such zeal and such enthusiasm. So we have the Moshe gives them all the descriptions about this holiday that they'll celebrate to commemorate something that had not yet happened and how they'll commemorate it each and every year you're going to safeguard and keep the matzah you're going to safeguard the matzah you're going to safeguard this day matzah is synonymous with Pesach not because we left in a rush because there's something about matzah which is synonymous with Pesach seven days you're not going to allow any chametz in your possession you can't eat chametz chametz is so strict and so on then the Pesach offering he tells them go and find and shecht take the blood sprinkle it on the doorpost sprinkle it on the what's it called? lentil the top piece and uh, Hashem will then pass over your homes when he carries out the last plague and then it's time for the tenth plague Vayihi bachatzi alayla it's midnight and Hashem strikes every Bukhor. Every Bukhor. Paro Lailahu. Paro wakes up. I think Rabbi Friend quotes a great point. Paro wakes up. What do you mean wakes up? How could he have been sleeping? Moshe told him what was going to take place that night. How could he possibly have fallen asleep? How could he be sleeping? So, what does it tell you about Paro and his character? His lack of belief. His lack of urgency. And uh, we have the story. So the 10th plague, they leave Egypt. The laws of the Karban Pesach, of leaving Egypt. The obligation to remember over and over and over again. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a centerpiece of Jewish life and living forever. Shabbos, we observe Shabbos. Why? Two reasons. Zecher le... Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Zecher le Masabreshis. Shabbos commemorates creation and Shabbos commemorates. Each and every week we are to remember creation and we are to remember leaving Mitzrayim. So much of our religion, so many of our mitzvahs are there to remind us about the experience of leaving Mitzrayim. Tefillin, the end of the parsha, we have the firstborn, we have the mitzvah of Bechor, Petarechem, firstborn animal, and then we have Tefillin. Men every morning put on their tefillin and what are they supposed to remember? God took us out of Egypt. So the section that we're studying is not just relevant to have a nice vort to say at the Seder, but it really is the what informs and guides so much of our Judaism and our Jewish practice. Okay, I want to study Perak Yud Beis, beginning Pasuk Aleph. Perak Yud Beis, Pasuk Aleph. The article is Stone Chumash, page 348. 348. Got it? So again, to give you some context, we are... The warning of the 10th plague has come, but it's not yet been executed. And before the narrative continues by telling us the conclusion of the story or the culmination of the story, it's interrupted. The story is interrupted with a tangent, with a sidebar, where God turns and gives a mitzvah. Hashem tells Moshe and Aaron in Egypt oh thank you very much in Egypt saying why does it say Moshe and Aaron says Rashi since Aaron accompanied Moshe for all the plagues since Aaron was with Moshe troubled himself went through the effort to execute the plagues, 
if he was involved in the negative, he's honored. God honors him to be involved in the positive. That iron is included in Moshe. He is memorialized with Moshe as being a partner with giving the very first mitzvah as well. And what is that first mitzvah? Pasuk base. Hachodesh hazeh lachem rosh chadashim. Rishon hu lachem lechadshei hashana. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be for you the first of the months of the year. What is the very first mitzvah? What is the gift that God gave? A gift that we neglect or that we don't appreciate but that we nevertheless observe all the time. For example, tonight and tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, we will observe it once again. It is the mitzvah of time. The mitzvah of time. What does it mean to have a mitzvah of time? Look at Rashi. Pasuk Beis. HaChodesh Hazeh. Hero'u levana bechidusha v'amalo. Kesha'yareach mischadesh. God showed Moshe the moon and said, When the moon renews itself, Yiyelecha Rosh Chodesh. The presence of the new moon. When you discern that the moon is new, you know it's beginning of the month. Ve'en mekriyotsu midei pshuto ha'chodesh nisan amalo. Zeh yiyerosh l'seder minyan ha'chadashem. What month was about to strike? Nisan. And what does God mean literally? This month is the beginning of all months. Says Rashi. It means that Nisan is the beginning of the Jewish calendar. And so on. Why is Rashi telling us? We have a famous Machlokas Tanaim. What is the first month of the year? Is it Nisan or is it? Is it Tishrei? Do we identify the calendar based on the universal event of creation? Tishrei is the sixth day of creation when man came to be long before there was a Jewish people. It was Adam Arishon. When Adam is created on the sixth day of creation, right? Rosh Hashanah, first of Tishrei, does not correspond with the first day of creation. corresponds with the sixth day of creation. Because what matters for us, I'm sorry I apologize to all the animal lovers or plant lovers, but the purpose of creation was not for animals. We should be kind to animals. We have a mitzvah to make sure they don't suffer. Yada, yada, yada. We should care about animals. We should care about plants. Don't let them die. Don't step on them. Water them. Care about plants. And so on. However, make no mistake, God did not create a world for the plant kingdom or the animal kingdom. The purpose of creation is for humanity. Humanity are the only ones with a soul, with a consciousness, with self-awareness, where God has breathed a piece of Himself into us. So that everything else in the world is there to serve us. We should work it, manipulate it, conquer it. The Kivshua, including the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. We have to safeguard it, we have to keep it, but it's there for us. So Rosh Hashanah, when do we commemorate? When do we commemorate the beginning of the world? From when the world began to matter. The world did not matter on the first day or the second day or the fifth day. When did the world begin to matter? When did it fulfill its purpose in creation and existence? On the sixth day. Only when man is created. For man the world was created. So that's universal. All of humanity began, can trace their lineage back to the first man and first woman, Adam and Chava. That's the universal beginning of the calendar. Nisan is the particularistic beginning of the calendar because it commemorates not when humanity came to be, but when 
the Jewish people came to be, which is another purpose of creation. God created the world for His children, whom He gave the Torah to fulfill the purpose of existence. When did we begin to forge ourselves as a nation so that we could realize our mandate, our purpose in creation? In the beginning of Nisan. So in this Machlokas, Nisan Tishrei, Nisan Tishrei, and we count depending on for what. Holidays begin with Nisan. But the calendar, right, begins with Tish, Tishrei. Says Rashi, Nisan. In this conflict between the two, it's really Nisan. And that's the Ein Mikri Yotzimidei Pshuto. That even though we can l- apply all kinds of layers of interpretation, the simple meaning of the text, HaChodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh Chadashim, this month you're about to begin Nisan, is the beginning of all months, means that Nisan begins the year. Not only does Nisan begin the year, but Nisan begins the year so that we count all the months according to this seminal experience. Look at the Ramban. Says the Ramban, HaChodesh Hazel Lachem Rosh Chadashim, this is the very first commandment God gave through Moshe. Right? We have earlier Puravu, earlier in Sefer Bracious, we have Mitzvah Mila, the Mitzvah Puravu. But the Gemara tells us that even when a Mitzvah is mentioned earlier, we only observe the Mitzvah because it was Nishnes, it was taught again at Har Sinai. The fact that it's taught earlier does not make it binding on us. Mitzvahs being repeated later is what makes it binding on us. So even though we have references to these mitzvahs earlier, the first mitzvah from when we became a nation, and therefore a clay kibble, so to say, a nation who were capable of a mission of being charged, was this mitzvah. That's why it says in Egypt, right? Parakid Beis began, God spoke to Moshe and Aaron, where? Be'eretz Mitzrayim. That was gratuitous. Again, none of you noticed it. Even though we're trying to teach a sensitivity to the text, I didn't see anybody shoot up their hand and say, why does it say Be'eretz Mitzrayim? Who cares where it's taught? What does it matter where the law is taught? And don't I know where they are? I've been following the story for the last three parshios. I know they haven't left yet. So why does the Torah have to tell me Be'eretz Mitzrayim? God spoke to Moshe and Aaron in Egypt saying, it seems extraneous, it's gratuitous. Why does the Torah have to tell it to me? Says the Ramban, Kishar Mitzvah Shabbatorah Hayu Bahar Sinai, O Shabalomar Be'eretz Mitzrayim, Lo Be'ir Mitzrayim. Kemosha Amru Rabbaseinu, Chutz Lekrach. Says the Ramban, it's telling me one of two things. Either it's trying to differentiate this mitzvah from the mitzvahs that were given at Har Sinai, for whatever reason, we'll say in a moment, or to tell me it was not given in the big city, the metropolis Mitzrayim, it was given outside the Krach, outside the city, just in the land of Egypt. It should have said that God commanded this to all the Jewish people. That's why it spells out Moshe and Aaron to say they represent the Jewish people. God is giving them the mitzvah and they will pass it on. Continues the Ramban. Why does it say Control of the calendar 
So what does that mean? Every Jew can go outside in their backyard, look up and say, Oh, I think I see the new moon. I'm going to start my calendar today. Well, well who's, you're going to observe Yom Kippur on different days. Sukkot, Pesach, birthdays, anniversaries. How do you have one common calendar? Not by each individual being Mekadosh Lechodesh, but it has to be centralized. And how is it centralized? In Beisdin. You require a Beisdin, Ramban, quotes in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, of mumchin, of experts. They require smicha. They have to have been ordained person from person until Moshe Rabbeinu in fact it's when that capacity was lost when because of the persecution and the oppression we lost the ability to maintain ordination the chain was broken that's when we no longer were Mekadesh Lechodesh in the 4th century of the common era Hillel Azakain Hillel II established and fixed a permanent calendar that we have until today that's why you have apps on your phone where you can look 4,000 years from now and see when your great, 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 great grandchild's bar mitzvah is going to be. Because Hillel fixed the calendar so you can check even days that uh, long, long ahead. But in the time, it required a basin of mumchen. How do you know that? The Gemara learns from lachem. Achodesh hazeh, lachem. It's you. I've given you the capacity. Says the Ramban, and that's why it's not given to all the Jewish people. It's given to Moshe and Aaron alone, so that no one get the impression that individuals or untrained people, amateurs, can be mekadesh lechodesh. Oh, this was the point I wanted to tell you. Why does it say achodesh lachem rosh chadashim? This is the beginning of all months. What is the Hebrew name for Tuesday? Anyone know? Yom Shlishi. That's not a name, that's a number. What's the name? The answer is there is no name for Tuesday. Why? Because we don't want anyone to experience Tuesday as Tuesday. What do we want to experience Tuesday as? The third day since Shabbos. The whole week revolves around Shabbos. Right? Even Tuesday, you can make Havdalah till Tuesday because Tuesday is still the remnant of the feeling of Motzei Shabbos. Wednesday begins Erev Shabbos. The Yom on Wednesday morning concludes with Lechun Aranana. You begin Kabbalah Shabbos on Wednesday morning. There is no Hebrew name for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. Why? And so on. The entire week revolves around Shabbos. I am either continuing to bask in the glory of last Shabbos, or I'm beginning to prepare for this coming Shabbos. Not in the sense of the burden, I gotta shop and I gotta cook and I gotta, uh, I gotta keep up and I gotta. Not in the sense of the burden, but the sense of the joy. If Shabbos is all about renewal, if Shabbos is Zechel and I go back to my roots, I go back to nature, I disconnect from the world in order to connect to what's important, that I continue to feel that until Tuesday, and I look forward and anticipate to feeling it again beginning from Wednesday. Says the Ramban, what is true for the weekdays is true for the months. How do you say? the months in Hebrew. The word Chodesh means month. But what are the names of the months? Do our months have names in Hebrew? Says the Ramban, absolutely not. 
Chodesh Rishon, Chodesh Hasheni, Chodesh Hashlishi. When you look throughout Tanakh, you will not find our months having names. You'll find our months having numbers. Which is the first? Which is the Shabbos, so to say? Nisan. Nisan is the first because everything we do revolves from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Our very existence, our intimate knowledge that God is involved in our lives. Kuzari asks, Rabbi Yudah Levi, the Sefer Kuzari says, Why didn't God introduce Himself to the world? Anochi Hashem Kolo Kulo. I am God who created the entire world. What's more impressive, taking us out of Egypt or creating the world? Taking us out of Egypt, impressive. God suspended the rules of nature to perform the miracles that emancipated us, that liberated us. That's impressive. But what's even more impressive than suspending the rules of nature? Creating nature to begin with. Ex nihilo, something from nothing. Nothing can compete on God's resume with creation. So why doesn't God introduce Himself to us with His most impressive act? Asks the Kuzari. Anochi Hashem The first of the Aseris Adibra should be, I am the Lord your God who created everything you know. Why not? So he answers Rabbi Yudalei, he answers the Kuzari. Because you might say, okay, nice to meet you, God who created everything. How do I know you care about me? Maybe you created the whole world and moved on. In philosophy, we're not going to get into it now, but in philosophy, when you talk about the evidence and proofs for God's existence, St. Thomas Aquinas, all the different uh, evidence that were put forth, the proofs that were put forth, one of them is the proof of creation, right? The proof that you see all that exists. The third law of thermodynamics is that, or entropy is that order goes to disorder, and the existence of the world means that disorder goes to order. That's against nature, that means there had to have been a creator. Right? When you see disorder go to order, you see a house built, you see a painting painted, you see a book where words, ink, make sense on a page, you see clothing which is sewn and tailored together. When you see disorder turn to order, you know somebody did it. Well, when you see this world and you saw disorder turn to order, you know someone did it. So what's the argument against that as a proof? That might prove God's existence, but it doesn't prove God cares about me. The architect of this building, I don't even know his name. person who made my clothing, I never met. person who painted the picture, they died a long time ago. God may have created the world. How do I know He cares about me? Says the Kuzari, that's why God created all this pomp and circumstance around Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. And that's why it's such a central place in our lives. Because each and every day when we begin to doubt, when we wonder, is there a Ribbonu Shalolam? And even if there is, has he moved on to his next project, to the next planet, to the next universe, the next cosmos? Or does he care about little me? Is he intimately engaged and involved and invested in my life, in what happens to me at every given moment? When I talk to him, is he listening? Can I impact and influence the way he treats me and my destiny, my future? Says the Kuzari, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim tells us all. And that's why God says, I want you to know me based on something that your great-great-grandparents could tell you about. Nobody was there when He created the world. Nobody was a witness to creation. But it's in our family story. It's in our family narrative. It's in our family narrative that He took us out of Egypt. How do I know God took me out of Egypt? Not because of the miracles. The Rambam is very clear. I don't believe in God because of miracles. The Rambam writes explicitly. That's other religions. I also don't believe in God because one person says 
as in the case of Christianity and Islam, one person claimed to have been a prophet who said God whispered in his ear that everything should be different. Why do I believe in God? Because my parents told me they heard from their parents who heard from their parents who heard from their parents that they were taken out of Mitzrayim, that they stood of Har Sinai, that they then went into Eretz Yisrael, and so on. That's the foundation of our belief, and that's why all of this unfolds the way it does. So this is all in that little sentence of the Ramban. Says the Ramban, we therefore count our Jewish calendar from the months beginning from Nisan. And how do we count? Chodesh Arishon, Sheni Shlishi, until you get to 12. Kedeshiyyazah zikron b'neis ha-gadol, ki b'chol eishin nazkir ha-chadashim yehaneis nizkar, v'yakein e'in l'chadashim shem b'torah, el-yom ha-chodesh ha-shlishi. The months do not have names in the Torah. Where did the months get their names from? The Ramban tells us. You know where they got their names from? You think Tishrei, Nishan, Teves, Shvat are Jewish names, are Hebrew names? They're Babylonian names. They are not Jewish in origin. They are Babylonian. Says the Ramban, I'm skipping ahead to the paragraph. When we came back from Bovel to build the second temple, right? We were exiled after the first base of Mikdash by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. After our time in Bovel, we returned, thanks to Cyrus, we returned to Israel. And what did we bring with us back from Bovel? We brought back these names of months. The Pasuk in Yermia tells us that once we achieved the liberation from Bavel, it supplanted the miracle of leaving Egypt. So from when we left Egypt until we were exiled to Bavel, leaving Egypt was the greatest miracle. Once we left Bavel, leaving Bavel became the greatest miracle. And that's why when we left Bavel, we began to call the months names using the Babylonian terminology to remember the miracle. So whereas the months were called by numbers to place supremacy to leaving Egypt as the centerpiece, once we experienced an even more recent miracle of leaving Bovel, that took over and we used the Babylonian names, says the Ramban, in order to, in order to remember. What will you say today? Once we are beginning to leave Gullus to return to Eretz Yisrael. So Rav Menachem Kasher, I'm teaching people of the book next week, so uncharacteristically I began to actually look into it in advance a little bit yesterday. So, Rav Menachem Kasher, who was a, a tremendous Tamachacham, a great Zionist, those who come to people of the book next Tuesday night will study about him in depth. But after, 1948, after the founding of the state, Rav Menachem Kasher in his Haggadah has a long essay trying to prove why we should now drink the fifth cup of wine. Last week we spoke about the Dal Dashonos of Geula, the four languages of redemption, but the fifth language is Vehevesi. I will bring you into the land. And Rav Menachem Kasher tried to establish it was not widely embraced. I doubt any of you drink the fifth cup. It's not the cup of Eliyahu. At the Seder table of Rav Menachem Kasher, the fifth cup was the cup of the Hevesi. And when it was realized with the miracle of the founding of the state in 1948, he instituted or tried to. He wrote a whole tshuva, a whole essay explaining why, bringing evidence why he thought it was compelling to drink the fifth cup. 
the fifth cup of the Hevesi. That was the more recent miracle, I won't say that replaced the miracle of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim, but that complements the miracle of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. So uh, throughout Jewish history, when we experience new miracles that complement, we commemorate it. And that's what the Ramban says, is why we begin to call these other names. So, Chodesh Hazel Lachem, Rashi says, Ein Pshuto, Nisan is the beginning. We choose the particularistic month of Nisan, the beginning of the Jewish people matters more to us, is the beginning of the calendar. Says the Ramban, it's because Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim is the centerpiece the anchor through which all the calendar revolves. So just as the days of the week are Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi, Chodesh Rishon, Chodesh Sheni, Chodesh Shlishi. We don't find them having names in Tanakh. They only begin to have names when we rise, when we come from Bavel back to Eretz Yisrael and we take the Babylonian names in order to commemorate that miracle. This gift of the calendar of HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem means that we control the calendar. We control the calendar. That's why the bracha we say on Shabbos is Mekadesh HaShabbos God, you sanctify Shabbos I don't determine when Shabbos is Trust me, Friday afternoons when I don't have a drasha I wish I could control when Shabbos is I don't control when Shabbos is None of us can When the sun sets Friday at night It's Shabbos Whether you like it, whether you welcome it, whether you recognize it or not Count six days, it's Shabbos But when is Yom Kippur? When is the 10th of Tishrei? That depends entirely upon men, the calendar, Klal Yisrael, Bezdin, when they choose to sanctify it. The power of when the holiest day of the year was given to man, not by God, but man determines when it is. And those who learned the Rosh Hashanah, Dafyomi last year, remember, Atem Afilum Bezidim Afilu Shogigim. Based on are empowered to manipulate the calendar even intentionally. You say, you know, it won't be convenient, it won't work out for Yom Kippur to fall then, so let's not accept the aidus, let's not accept the testimony till tomorrow to push it off one day so the, com- the calendar will fall more conveniently. They're allowed to manipulate the calendar. HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem. This was given to you. You're allowed to manipulate the calendar. That's why, what's the bracha we say on Yantif? Mikadesh. Yisrael v'azmanen God, you sanctified the Jewish people and the Jewish people in turn sanctify sanctify the Zmanen. Why is this the first mitzvah God gives us? Why did we interrupt this narrative, this story? What's going on here? The tenth plague is about to come. The stories are unfolding. We interrupt the story to bring you the very first mitzvah. Why is Chodesh Hazelachem the very first mitzvah? Why not Everyone right now, circumcise yourselves. Bris Mila. Everyone right now, keep it Avein. Everyone right now, Talmud Torah. Everyone right now, put on some tzitzis. Everyone right now, Shiluach Hakeim. Why is HaChodesh HaZelachem? What specific connection is there between the idea of the new month and the interruption to the story? So the Svarna was bothered by this. I mentioned this at Mincha the other day. I apologize for those who are hearing it again. The Svarna Pasuk Beis. Says the Sforna, Hachodesh Hazelachem Rosh Chadashim, Mikan Vailach Yuachadashim Shelachem, Lasos Bahem Kirtzon Chem, Aval Bimei Ashibud, Loayu Yimechem Shelachem, Aval Hayu Lavodas Achirim Urtsonam, Lefichach Rishon Hulachem, Lachad Sheashana, Kibo Hischil Metzuschem Habechiri. Says the Sforno, Ravavadia Sforno, a brilliant insight. What defines freedom? 
What is the very definition of freedom, says the Sfarno? Freedom is control over your time. When you control time, that's freedom. When you're enslaved, your time is not your own. Slavery is not limited to the physical dimension, physical oppression, and freedom is not expressed solely in the ability to move where you want, as you please. Slavery and freedom exist most prominently for the Svarno in the dimension of time. The commandment is given right now because God says, I'm about to free you. And you know what it means to be free? It means you will choose how you fill your time. The slave owns, owes his time to the master. The master owns the time of the slave. Dictates and demands and tells them every moment what to do. Freedom and time, say the Svarno, are intertwined. Rav Soloveitchik expanded on the Svarno, and the Rav saw the freedom to control time as the very definition of a human being. It's the very description of consciousness. Said the Rav, the only creature, the only creature that can experience time, that feels its passage, that senses its movement, is man. The only creature, the only creation that has time awareness. The animal has no idea that it's getting old or feels young or the day is about to end. The plant has no idea of time awareness. The human being is the only one. Time is a precious commodity and the decision for how we fill it is the very definition of freedom. Hayom katsar v'amalacha merubah. And that's why perhaps Gemara in Sanhedrin says, Whoever welcomes and blesses the new moon, it's as if they welcome Pnei Ashkina, they welcome God's presence into their lives. What's the connections? The Gemara in Sanhedrin says, it says, And later when they leave Kriyas Yamsuf, Moshe says, So the word Ze appears both places. This month is yours. I will praise God. What it means is, what's the greatest way to praise God? To make the most use of your time. When you own your own time, when you manage your time effectively and efficiently, and you don't kill time, and you don't let time pass you by, and you don't... Uh, right? These expressions are not Jewish expressions. To kill time is homicide. We would never kill time. Time is a precious commodity. Time is the very definition of freedom, says the Svarno. Chas v'shalom, you should ever kill time. But rather, we fill time, every moment of time, to make it as precious, as precious as possible. Achodesh hazelachem. It's a lot more to talk about, about the new month. But I actually wanted to do more than one Pasuk today, believe it or not. Uh... Why are we connected to the moon, not the sun? Our calendar revolves around the moon, not the sun. Why is that? Oh. So the sun is consistent and constant. The moon waxes and wanes. It grows larger and it grows smaller. The moon is the symbol of the Jewish people. When is Rosh Chodesh? Tonight. I want you to go outside. I'm giving you homework. Tonight, go outside and look at the moon. The night that we're going to celebrate the moon, what does it look like? 
you'll have trouble seeing it. It's a barely discernible, negligible sliver in the sky. When is the moon full and robust? When is it reflecting the light its strongest? When does it illuminate the most? The 15th, midway through the month. So shouldn't Rosh Chodesh be on the 15th? Shouldn't we celebrate the moon when the moon is fullest? We celebrate the moon when it's barely discernible. Why? Because that the moon is all about the story of the Jewish people. It's our faith. That even when it's a barely discernible sliver, we have faith that will grow full once again. The moon tells the story of the Jewish people. The Medrash says in Shmos Rabbah, Perek Vav Parsha Vav, Perek uh, Vav Parsha Gimel, Reblevi in the name of Yosef Bar Eloi, says that it makes sense that the bigger one, i.e. the nations of the world, count according to the bigger one, and the smaller one count according to the smaller one. The bigger one are the nations of the world, they count according to the sun. The smaller one are the Jews, we count according to the moon. Why is that, says the Medrash? Because the sun is out during the day, but not at night. So too Esav is a portion of this world, but none in the world to come. Whereas Yaakov follows the moon, which is small, just like the moon rules at night, but also at day, so too Yaakov is a portion of this world and the world to come. You know, often you can see the moon during the day. You'll never see the sun at night. The moon is the symbol of the Jewish people. And at night, even when you can't, even uh, the darkness of night, that's when the Jews begin to thrive, even in the harshness of exile. That's why the Ramah writes in Shulchan Aruch, Archaim Tav Chavav, what do we say in Kiddush Levana? David Melch Yisrael Chai V'Kayim. Three times, David Melch Yisrael Chai V'Kayim. How do we end Kiddush Levana? With a little tansan, we dance. What are we singing and dancing in the moon? We look like uh, some, we should put a bone through our nose and uh, what are we doing? What's that all about? So the Ramah writes in Shulchan Aruch, the reason we say David Melch Yisrael Chai V'Kayim is just like the moon will have renewal, so too the kingdom of David HaMelech. Mashiach Ben David, Mashiach will come, we will shine bright, we will grow great once again like the, like the moon. So every month when we go outside, you have to realize, we have the privilege of looking up at the moon, we have the privilege of realizing, with this gift God says, there's going to be dark periods of your, of your story. As I take you out of Mitzrayim, you're going to have Mitzrayim again. You need to know that. Which answers a question we're not going to get to later. I really wanted to. But I'll just give you this question for your Seder table. What do we say at the Seder? What did Rabbi Gamliel teach us? You know this part because it's right before you get to eat. So everyone gets excited when you come across it in the Haggadah. What did Rabbi Gamliel teach us? Three things you have to say without which you've not fulfilled the mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? That's a big discussion. Three things you have to say otherwise you haven't done the mitzvah. What mitzvah do I have to do? Unclear. Everybody talks about it. But what, is, uh, what are the three things? Pesach. Okay, good. Why do? Oh, good. Okay. Why do we have to have Pesach? Al shame. Because God skipped over the homes of the Jews. Why do we matzah al Okay, let's go back to the mistake with notion that the matzah was made quickly. And why do we matzah al shum? Good. Tell me something. Is the order correct? Did it ever bother you? Why does it say Pesach, Matzah, and Mara? What should it say? Mara, Pesach, or Matzah? Shouldn't Mara be first? Why is the Mara last? Great question for you, Seder. Take notes. It's coming up. Why does it say Pesach, Matzah, and Mara? The Mara should be first. 
it should end right here. So there are a number of answers to this question, but I think one of them is that sitting at the Seder table we recognize that murder is not only part of our past. That we haven't put the murder behind us. The murder wasn't just something that happened in Mitzrayim and it was smooth sailing since then. But that even with Petzach and Matzah, we still have the taste of murder in our mouths and we will yet experience murder again in the future. The promise of freedom is not a promise that we will never experience pain again. Throughout our history, there are moments of exile, moments of darkness. We have to be able to live with freedom. There are amazing stories in concentration camps. There are amazing stories in Siberia of heroes who observed to whatever small degree they could Pesach, even within the camp, even within the, 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 the confinement of the cell in Siberia. Even within the moments of murder, you have to be able to find the Matzah and the, and the, uh, and the Pesach. So that's part of the lesson of the moon. When do we celebrate Rosh Chodesh? When the moon is barely discernible, you can't even see it. Because we know that even when you're looking up at that moon from Auschwitz, even when you're looking up at that moon from Siberia, even when you're looking up at that moon from wherever you are, we don't appreciate this. We look up at the moon from 72 degrees, our backyard, Boca Raton in January, we look up at that moon from Modin or Alon Shvut or Yerushalayim or Beit Shemesh with an unbelievable privilege of feeling the full moon even when we're looking at the sliver. But throughout periods of our history, people have looked up at that moon when they saw it as a sliver and it was Rosh Chodesh. And you know what they said? They sang and danced, David Melch Yisrael Chai V'Kayam, understanding and knowing that it will come. Rav Yaakov Emden writes in his Siddur, Rav Yaakov Remden, I'm sorry, writes in his Sefer, Sulam Betel, he writes something unbelievable. Rav Asher Weiss quotes this in his Sefer. Writes Rav Yaakov Emden, the Yaivitz, I swear, I'm, I'm quoting him in English, translation, when I look at our nation's existence through exile, one sheep among 70 wolves, this miracle is greater in my eyes than all the miracles performed for our forefathers in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in Eretz Yisrael. When I study history, says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, and I understand the systematic attempts to exterminate us, and yet we are here. When I study history and I see the waxing and waning of the moon in the sky in our own narrative, in our own story, says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, I swear it's a greater miracle than the ten plagues, the splitting of the sea, and the coming into Israel combined. This is the story of HaChodesh Hazel Lachem. This is the miracle of Rosh Chodesh. The gift of time that differentiates us as free people from being slaves. It's the gift of hope, of optimism, of faith, of recognizing that we will grow strong and we will illuminate with a bright light once again. If anyone wants to stay for another hour, I had a lot more psukim I wanted to get into. The whole story about the uh, carbon Pesach. But I guess we'll start with that next year. I'm sorry. Have a wonderful week.